Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're live on Bullhorn again. Woo! If you haven't heard about Bullhorn, this is the way that we like to show you what happens behind the scenes when we record a podcast. And for everybody who's subscribed to us on Bullhorn, you get to watch the video and interact with chat. Yeah, sometimes. And maybe even answer a poll or something. Gets a few good questions in. It has been a while since we've done a show. <laughs> it really has. With June was the last time we did shows, and now it's the end of July. Yeah. We happen to be recording on a Thursday, which is when Eli Holderness's show is being published, which we recorded in May, because time shifting is hard. The time shifting is hard. But anyway, it's good to be back in the saddle, huh? Yeah, and it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. We, we get to do that on Bullhorn. I turned 55. You've got another couple of weeks before it happens to you. That's right. I sent you my happy birthday video. It's got a lot of legs, doesn't it? It does. It works. <laughs> I'm sent to you every year. Yeah. Well, you you're know. You're going to be 90 <laughs> and you're going to see that video. Man, another 40 years of life. I don't even know what I'd do with myself. And now uh, everybody, I think, wants to know what that video is. Maybe we can put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I'll send a link in the show notes for sure. All right. Cool. Well, uh, our good friend Rocky Lotka is here. But before we bring him on, let's do a little business. This is Better Know a Framework. Roll the music. <laughs> Everybody, what do you got? All right. Well, my topic today is uh, a Blazor Train topic. Nice. So you can go to blazertrain.com. You can sort descending, and you'll see uh, Blazor Canvas is episode eighty-five that I published July twenty-seventh. Mm-hmm. But if you follow the link on the page, that'll take you to GitHub.com/slash Carl Franklin/slash Blazor Canvas. So what this is, is it's an amalgamation of tools and demos and code that I wrote. Cool. So everybody knows what a canvas is, right? And if you've done any JavaScript programming against the canvas, I want to hire you. No, um, <laughs> this is, <laughs> it's hard. And there's it is hard. some, yeah, there's some great demos out there about how to do, you know, canvas programming and animation in particular. And there's also this, um, uh, Blazor Extensions Canvas component that's out there in Blazor mm-hmm. Extensions, and it gives you a Canvas uh, component for Blazor. But what it doesn't do is go the extra mile to do animation. It's just a Canvas. You still have to do animation. And the way to do animation in JavaScript is you have to request a time slice in which you want to uh, do uh, draw or render a frame. Okay. And you do that with window.requestAnimationFrame. And that is a callback to your code that's going to do the, the drawing with the canvas. So there's a really great demo out there um, by Scott Harden. Mm-hmm. And it's, this is all in the repo. If you go to my Blazor Canvas repo, the links. Um, Scott Harden did this excellent blog post, Draw Animated Graphics in the Browser with Blazor WebAssembly. He uses that Blazor extensions canvas thing, and he also adds some JavaScript to handle that, you know, the frame stuff, right? Uh, but that's JavaScript, and right. I wanted to create a wrapper around that stuff so that the Blazor developer never has to touch JavaScript. So I made this thing called AVN Canvas Helper, and that is just a component that has a render fragment as a child child content, right? 
And it has five events. It has canvas resized, which happens when the browser and therefore the canvas gets resized. Mm-hmm. has a render frame event, and it passes a frames per second value. So you can you know show that and figure out what your FPS is. It has a mouse down, a mouse up, and a mouse move event that encapsulates all the stuff from the mouse event that you get in JavaScript. You know, whether button was pressed, which button was pressed, the X and Y, and all of that stuff. So it's pretty helpful because you don't have to do any JavaScript, number one. And number two, you just handle the event and Bob's your uncle. So I took the demo code to do the animation from Scott W. Harden's blog post, and I rewrote it using this AVN Canvas helper. So no JavaScript. Nice. And it's all free. It's all OSS and know it, learn it, love it. And check out blazertrain.com if you haven't already. <laughs> Good one, man. That's what I got. Uh, bouncing ball demos. I love it. It's old, super yeah. old school. Right. Bouncing balls. All those awaits lean, seem odd, but I guess it's like everything is asynchronous. Yeah. And I'm not so sure how asynchronous it should be, you know, especially yeah. Blazor. You might have better luck if you don't do any kind of asynchronous stuff. In yeah. A web be, app. It'd be interesting to play with that. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1744, the one we did back in June 2021 with Rocky, back when he had a real job, uh, called Open Source in the Enterprise. That was the name of the show. And we <laughs> talked about that whole, did I say that? I said that. Okay. Uh, the, we talked about using open source libraries in the enterprise and sort of the issues around, you know, protecting your code and so on. Got a lot yeah. of good comments on the show, which is pretty normal for Rocky shows, to be honest. Yeah. And Rob Garner says, and I mean, at least is a year ago now, he says, as usual, an excellent and thought provoking show. During the discussion about the cost and impact of upgrading new versions of a framework or library, it occurred to me that maybe the way we should organize frameworks is a violation of the open-close principle. Ideally, mm. a new upgrade to a framework should never break your existing code. However, how often do you upgrade frameworks and then have to go through and review your entire code base? Yeah. If we think about how object-oriented design should work, <laughs> mm. the open-close principle dictates that you never change the original class. Instead, you inherit from and add your changes to the new class and thereby right. make everything slower. Uh, <laughs> this is harder to do when you're working off an entire framework of libraries. However, couldn't we fix it by adding version numbers into the namespace, which they're there. That way you could import the new version of the framework side-by-side side with the old version and then only worry about the classes you're working on since only the import statement in that class would reference the new version of framework. This is actually a very interesting idea. It is an interesting idea. Right? The idea that, yeah, we, that you could, because we are allowed side-by-side side operation now, but there's always this implicit you use the latest version that's loaded. So you can certainly do different versions in different DLLs, but what could you do literally a method by method declaration of run this in this, in this version, run that in that version, and thereby protect your code? I think we'll put it in front of David Fowler and watch his head explode. It'll be great. That would be awesome. Rob, you're awesome. Thanks so much for your comment. And a copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rocky Lotka. And when you send a tweet, you can use a timer. You don't have to request an animation frame. Are you sure That's he's fine. at Rocky Lotka? Yeah. I don't know. Are you? Are you at Rocky Laka? <laughs> he is at Rocky Laka. All right. Do, well, I, he's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And <laughs> Rocky's at Rocky Laka. <laughs> so send us a tweet and uh, mazel tov. 
Let's bring in our co-host. Yeah, let's bring in our co-host. So Rocky <laughs> has a new, uh, to us, a new um, bio. He's no longer at Magenic. He is Chief Software Architect at Merimer LLC and is the creator of the open source CSLA.net development framework, of course, author of numerous books and regularly speaks at major conferences around the world. He's a member of the Microsoft Regional Director and MVP Programs. And for further information on Rocky, go to lotka.net, L-H-O-T-K-A.net. Welcome back, Guy. Hey, it's great to be here again. Great to have you. Yeah. What have you been yeah. up to? Good Lord. I, th- I think as soon as I saw your post about, hey, I'm I'm changing my career around here and leaving Magenic, I missed you and said, well, that's a show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, after uh, like 22 years of being at one place, it's a big shift. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. Doubt. No yeah. kidding. Uh, so, so what happened? Yeah. What, what prompted that? Well, Magenic uh, got purchased by a bigger company. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, a, a massively huge company. And uh, so I, I stayed with that for a, a period of time to help folks transition, hopefully. And, and uh, but it, it turns out it was not for me. It was uh, in my career, actually, I've never until that point worked for a, like a you know, mega corporation. Yeah, I think they, and, it was, was it Cognizant uh, that bought that, bought Magenic? Yep. yep. All right, let's Dude, talk about them. Well, I so. didn't need to do that, but you're now talking about a publicly traded, like massive yeah. company. Like that's a very different beast. Yeah, yeah, over three hundred thousand employees. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and and I have worked for publicly traded companies, but never close to that size. And, yeah, uh, I mean, as a consultant, I have, but you know, not as an employee. And there's a big difference between those two. So. Well, Mangenic was really, really good for you in your career. I mean, they let you basically have your your talks and your books and stuff, and it really, you know, was good for them. I'm sure it was a great relationship, wasn't it? Oh, it was a fantastic relationship. Yeah, it was um, very mutually beneficial because, uh, like you say, I, you know, they they not only allowed but encouraged. Uh, it was literally part of my job to be um, working on open source and speaking and writing. And from the very beginning yeah. too. And that was very mm-hmm. forward thinking on their part. That was before yep. like, you know, blogs and c- celebrities and stuff were, where it was a thing. Right. Yeah. That was, well, it was the year 2000 is when I joined. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, early thinking. Um, and then the company I worked for prior to that, where I you know, had started writing and, and speaking, uh, was like, yeah, you can, you can, you can moonlight like that. That's okay. It's not a violation of your contract, but do it on your own time. Uh, take vacation when you, you know, go speak mm. and, and, uh, we're, we're not supporting you in any way, but boy, we'll reap the benefits. And, right. Uh, yeah, sure. And, uh, so not so much. It's not, it did not. Yeah. That, that was, you know, uh, unlike uh, we're, and so obviously Magenic was a, a pretty obvious choice for me because, uh, they recognize the value, um, you know, gained the value um, over the years, both in terms of uh, generating recruiting um, uh, notoriety, I guess. Or I, I don't know. A, a lot of people came mm-hmm. to work for Magenic because they um, heard it, heard about Magenic through me, or, or you know, were uh, like, "Yay, I, I can go work for the place that Rocky works for." Um, and and it had a sales impact too, where obviously we opened a lot of doors and had a lot of 
really fantastic conversations with prospective customers, mm. um, you know, based on a lot of the things that I had been doing in the public sphere. So your new venture is yours and yours alone, right? Or are you working for another company? No, I'm, I'm working completely for myself right now. And, mm. uh, um, only I'm very early in this process. So yeah, I, uh, but, but so far I'm enjoying it. I, yeah. I like my new boss. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that uh, guy. He doesn't understand uh, Moore's law at all. I thought you were, I think you're <laughs> talking about your wife, Teresa, right? Well, uh, yeah. Boss? But luckily I like that boss too. So it's yeah, all good. Yeah. Yeah, no, what, what is, is Merrimer? Awesome. What's the, uh, what's the, the significance of that word? Well, I took the, I, basically I was sitting, uh, you know, living in Minnesota, I was sitting out in the woods, uh, watching nature flow by thinking, uh, about company names. And so I decided to take the syllables from Teresa and, and Timothy and Marcus, my kids, and, you know, just was sitting there rearranging syllables and, uh, came up with, cool. you know, there's obviously a lot of combinations, but this is the one I settled on. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that. It's like Desilu. Yeah, mm -hmm. right, right. <laughs> Fabricating yeah. all the words together. So just a little, you just you have a particular gig in mind or is just, I need a wrapper over myself to do some stuff. I actually created the LLC quite a few years ago um, be, because somebody wanted to use CSLA, but they couldn't use it if it wasn't, if you know, basically it had to have a company behind it. Right. And, uh, uh, even though it's open source, it, I don't know, I, I didn't understand it, but I'm sure their lawyers, it made them it made happy. Sense. And so, um, and, uh, and actually it was a customer of Magenics at the time. And so Magenic paid the really quite small fee to create the LLC. And, uh, so the LLC has really been, uh, existed all these years as the, the vehicle for, CSLA and, and anything related to it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so now I'm just potentially expanding it. Um, you know, so if somebody, uh, wants to you know, have me do some consulting or, or whatever, then, um, I'm, I'm good with that so far. Uh, you know, everything I've been doing is still focused on writing and speaking at conferences and, um, working on enhancing CSLA to work with, uh, you know, Maui and do some other cool stuff. So very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it makes total sense to do that. But is it just a big corporation thing that, that puts you off? Like, was your job going to change that much? I, I, I make sense to me in an acquisition and the company changed, like now is the time to rethink your career. Mm. Right. Like that's, it makes a lot of sense to me, but uh, I, I just wonder about how different your job was going to be in the bigger company. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's two things, Richard. You know, one is, this, this doing what I'm doing right now is the culmination of a long plan, many, many years mm -hmm. that I've been, you know, planning on doing exactly what I I'm doing now. And the timing, uh, you know, it was, it was either just when Magenic got purchased, you know, call it at that point, um, or stick with, uh, cognizant and, uh, you know, explore the opportunity. And so I chose the latter because mm -hmm. like I said, I'd never worked for a big company. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and the way that the uh, acquisition was framed is that uh, we were actually being bought by a small division within Cognizant that was trying to um, be more like Magenic. Because you know, when you think of Cognizant, you probably don't think of small, agile boutique, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's 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 a very big company, and um, and they're like, hey, but we want we want to capture that you know kind of mindset, and uh, so I'm like, hey, that sounds pretty cool, right? Um, and interesting, um, and and they may yet succeed. I wouldn't go you know put money on it one way or another, but um, creating uh, creating a an exciting tech focused culture. Um, in a small company, or, or I, I don't know if you'd call Magenic small, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, um, having that kind of impact is a lot easier than, than trying to carve it out in a big company with a very established, uh, culture that is very much focused on, you know, we, you know, like at Magenic, our focus was largely on newer technologies because that's generally what our uh, employees considered to be cool and fun mm-hmm. and um, you know, cognizance like Fortran COBOL. Yeah. We like those. Those are good technologies. <laughs> you know, very, they make, very, I'm sure very, they make the money, right? Very like profitable. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, um, so it was a real, uh, it, it, it wasn't just my fight. Right. I mean, the, the, the people leading this little group inside of cognizant, um, have their work cut out for them trying to um, change this, the parent company's, you know, kind of culture or, or worldview to say, yeah, actually having a, a group that's focused on new stuff um, is a good idea. And it is an interesting debate here of, do you need to have a lot of experience inside of the organization to be able to navigate the quote unquote rocks and shoals of an existing company to carve that space out for you? Or does being the new guy actually give you the advantage to try and build something like that? Like, I think it's a hard call. I think it is. Um, I, I had a lot of hopes that being the new guy would give me an advantage. Um, and for maybe for some people, it would. Uh, my particular um, skill set and approach to things, um, I, I crashed on those rocks and shoals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and... Uh, um, and, and so I do think that somebody who had worked for a long time in a big company and, and was used to um, identifying the myriad levers of power that you, you don't see but are, are out there yeah. uh, might have might have had some. You know, basically, I'm, let, I'm used to uh, a world where, you know, the, the decision makers all get in a room, figure out, you know, and, and sometimes it's acrimonious, but you hash out what you're going to do and then you go yeah. out and do it. And right. Um, boy, that's that's not the same with these big companies, I guess. Well, it, and there's lies the real trap is you said decision makers and, you know, from from working with clients, like if the decision makers not in the room, what are we doing? And it's a, I think it's a very challenging part of a big company to actually figure out are the right people in the room and yep. you only find out after the fact you make a plan. You go to proceed on the plan and find out, oh, no, there was a key person that wasn't there and they do not agree. And you're stopped. Yes. Yes. That's there. You, there you have it. Yep. So Rocky, you were, you came from a position where you were not only well known for writing books and doing speaking and conferences and social media and all that stuff, but 
but on top of that, you know, what you wrote was really good. So, so the, the world at large knows about how good a software writer you are and a technical writer. Um, people who want to strike out on their own from a company uh, may not have that advantage. You know, that it's, that's a nice little springboard for you to, to go from Magenic to your own company. Um, and we've suggested over the years to our listeners, hey, pick an open source project, start contributing to it. You know, you, you don't have to be a YouTube star. You don't have to, you know, write blog posts every day. But if you just get a good reputation for, you know, doing great pull requests and, and actually helping and contributing to projects, um, you, you know, then, then you have, you're, you're, you're essentially sowing the seeds of your own future, aren't you? And, uh, is there any, has that advice changed? Should we be giving different advice in 2022 to people? Uh, or is that still the best, um, uh, example of how to, you know, raise your value in the greater world? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> It's an interesting question because I follow a lot of this on Twitter and, and other uh, social media forums, you know, LinkedIn and whatnot. And there's a lot of discussion and a lot of viewpoints about, boy, you know, certifications are the way to go. And, or um, building your portfolio on GitHub is the way to go. Um, mm. And, uh, or, or following the traditional, uh, you know, do a good job and get references at, at one employer to, you know, get you future jobs. Yeah. I think all of those remain valid from what I can see. Uh, you know, yeah, just thinking from a magenic perspective and, and the way that our recruiting staff worked, um, you know, really focused on LinkedIn. And so I, I that mm. one, I, I think you can't, um, and as far as I can tell, that's still, um, for most recruiters, LinkedIn is the primary place they start and do, you know, cause they, they buy the recruiter package from LinkedIn. So they have access right. to, you know, do queries and searches and, and, uh, you know, and so they are searching through everybody's profiles. And so having a good LinkedIn profile, I, I just think yeah. is, uh, and, and that LinkedIn profile, um, can include certifications and our recruiters would definitely look for certifications. Right. And obviously job experience, um, you know, via LinkedIn, also- you know, I, I don't know that our recruiters actually focus that much on like GitHub contributions, but mm. certainly after you get into the interview process, mm. um, our technical interviewers did because, you know, they're like, Oh, I can, you know, I can see that you're an active, person who seems well-liked or, you know, um, can work with others, right? I mean, anybody who's contributing successfully to BidHub definitely showing their ability to collaborate. I think, uh, you're talked about certifications. I think that was important in the nineties before the advent of internet, uh, searches and being Mm -hmm. able to, you know, blogs and stuff like that. That was really the only way you could prove your competence, other than, you know, sharing source code, which nobody wanted to do. There wasn't any real open source right, um, right. to speak of. But, uh, yeah, certifications. And guys like Patrick Hines got hundreds of them, mm-hmm. you know, and that really was good for his career back then. And I'm not so sure that that's necessary now, but it, I, I well, like where, where this conversation's I, going, though. I, I look at it, though, Carl, like it's it's a two, 
it's a two phase thing. Phase one is you have to have a recruiter um, find you and approach you. And I think certifications help yeah. with that. Um, and, and, and having a, um, LinkedIn profile that has the, <laughs> the right buzzwords, right. Yeah, you know, the, so. and, um, but then you have to get through the interview process and, um, and that, you know, some of that is interviewing for personality fit and, um, you know, are, are, is the team actually going to work with you and so, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but part of it is, um, yeah, and, and you hear about this, especially apparently the big tech companies all do those whiteboard or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that was my question. How do you feel about the whiteboard thing? Because it seems like a meme now. It it sure does. Um, I don't, I've never understood it because I've always been able to have a, con, you know, a 45 minute conversation with somebody and figure out if they actually know what they're talking about. Right. And, and that's how Magenic did it too. We had you know, senior, you know, principal consultants, architects, you know, folks at the top of their game that would be tech interviewers. And we would trust those tech interviewers to have a conversation and figure out, you know, did, does the, uh, you know, prospective person actually know what they're talking about. And I think that's where being able to concretely point back to either work you've done at a previous employer um, or point at, things you've done in the public space in GitHub mm. and, and say, yeah, yeah, you know, I did this, this is how, this is why. Um, and being able to really talk about it. Um, you know, that's what gets you through that technical interview. So that's like mm -hmm. phase two. Right. I think they're really bad whiteboard tests. Like I like the idea of being able to white watch you think through a problem on a whiteboard, but writing code on a whiteboard just seems daft. Right. right? Total, totally. Draw circles agree. and arrows. Back in the pre-GitHub days, like what I like about, let me see what you've been doing on GitHub. And I'm not saying it's a requirement, but it does show me you work with others, the kinds of code you've written. But before mm -hmm. all of that, I would ask for, bring me your favorite piece of code. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I never said like you, that you wrote, just what your favorite piece of code is, and then talk to me about it. Because I'm interested in what interests you. Like, you know, why do you like this? What do you know about it? Plus, if I'm looking at that piece of code, like, do you understand it? Mm -hmm. like, can I get my head around it? I, I'm always looking for a conversation about code. Yep. To, to just get into how they think. I've been BSed by those kinds of things, though. Oh, when sure. Somebody brought some code and was really good at explaining it. And then I asked them to write a simple loop or something and they couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Yeah. But so I'm you also do both. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I don't know that lots of people have a problem writing code while being scrutinized. Like that's just, oh, yeah. that's just that people know. kind of pressure you know. is, and it's not normal. Yeah, right? it's, all right. it's, but I mean, uh, if you don't know how to write a for loop and you're struggling with that and then say, I can't do this, that's, that's a pretty story. good sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also think you know, like, what's your, you do have a portal dev, dev environment. How do you like to work? Like I just don't have a tough problem. I, I, I just did an interview over on Run As talking about learning PowerShell. It's like, listen, when I'm going to write a chunk of PowerShell, because I don't write PowerShell every day, I search first. Mm -hmm. right? And I search on the problem I'm trying to solve, not necessarily a particular piece of PowerShell. Right. But I search into the PowerShell community because I'm, I don't have the ego to think what I'm doing is no one else has ever done before. I'm pretty sure somebody else solved this problem right. <laughs> and I'd like to see how they solved it. Not that I necessarily want to cut and paste their code, but 
but that I want to see how they approached it. There's lots of, most languages have more than one way to solve a problem. And so it's like, well, how did this guy approach his problem? Take his piece of code apart, say, well, this was right. the key statement. Do mm -hmm. I understand this statement? And when I can watch someone go through that process themselves, it tells me a lot about who they are as a developer. You know, back when books were a big thing. Um, books? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I would I would do that too. I'd go to the you know the like bookstore, I'd mm -hmm. get another antiquated idea. But I would go to, to the bookstore and and page through books. Um, you know, and I often, more often than not, actually, I would buy a book because it had one page that might even have, like you said, one line of code or one you know, one little you know thing that wows you. It's like wow, that is yeah yeah. I don't. Care, the, the rest of the book may or may not be any good, but this little thing on this one page paid for the book all by it's itself. It's worth 50 bucks, the price, yep. you know, the price right. of a book it's, and a DVD. I mean, same with a conference, right? Like if one good idea comes out of a session, you're like, I'm good. That's it, right? I got mm -hmm. one idea. I know how much that's going to save me. It's very compelling. It, it just speaks to the leverage that we have in computing, that one good idea is worth that much. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And folks, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, it's Carl and Richard here. We're here with our friend J.D. Trask from uh, Raygun. Hey, J.D. Howdy. We thought we'd just talk to you for a second about how Raygun got started. How did the whole thing come together? It wasn't our first product. We actually built a range of different tech companies uh, prior to launching Raygun. And we built Raygun off the back of how Jeremy and I, the JB of the JD-JB duo, uh, had been monitoring our software previously, where we would email ourselves if there was a fault. And we wanted <laughs> to build a full system around that. Who would do that? I guess I have. It's a nightmare going all into your inbox. <laughs> so that was the inspiration. Yeah, that's a great story. And, uh, and it's a great product. Thanks for making it. Oh, no. No, it's our pleasure. I, I honestly think, you know, if I was building a business today, putting something like that in from the get-go, we see customers where they adopt that sort of technology early and the number of issues they have sort of stays very, very low, you know, mm -hmm. from, from the get-go. It's really impressive when you see really large companies that are actually not sending very many errors because they've taken that quality so seriously from the beginning, right. as well as helping larger companies sort of, you know, bring those numbers down and, and lower the number of faults. It's really cool to see. Well, we use Raygun at .netrocks.com and it does its job. It tells us when there are errors, but we haven't really fixed them yet. So um, <laughs> <laughs> We do have a permanently ignore function for you there, Carl. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, uh, well, thanks. Let's do this again. Thank you. All right. And if you'd like to know more about Raygun, go to raygun.com and try out a free trial. And we're back. It's Donnet Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. Talking to our friend Rocky Laka about his career change after 20-something years. I'm not going to say this is a midlife crisis, Rockies. I don't think it is. You don't seem to be in crisis in any way. No, no. But I'd... you're in your 50s just like we are. And I mm -hmm. think there's sort of a point where you go, there were things I wanted to do, and if I don't do them now, I'm not going to do them. Yeah, it's it's exactly right. And I don't know, my, my, my intent mm -hmm. <laughs> is that I'm, you know, hopefully in a position where I can focus on the things I truly enjoy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean... You know, at some point, work is work because, you know, you, you have to follow through on things and some parts of anything are, are not the funnest part. But um, but there's still a big difference between getting involved in, in uh, initiatives that you know from the outset are not going to be fun, but you're getting paid versus 
having the luxury of saying, yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound interesting to me. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pass. Right. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm sure you can find somebody to do that. It's just not going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on the flip side is the, you know, boy, that, you know, may or may not be lucrative. It may or may not work out, but it really sounds like fun. Yeah. And I would like to invest some time and energy into that because that sounds like fun. Let's just speak to the progress of a career. I think in the early days of a career, you're trying to do some things to, you know, sort of prove yourself, stress your own skills. You know, can I make that? Can I build that piece? Maybe, you know, just making a contribution to a production product or something. Then you, you grow to a point where you lead a production product. But that, after a while, I felt like like the code I was writing was nowhere near as important to me as helping others write good code. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yep. Which I think is an interesting change. But then there's this, I, I think there's a level past that where it's like, hey, there's a bunch of stuff I'm good at that's even valuable, but not that important to me. And there's a bunch of stuff that is important to me, and it may be, may or may not be valuable to others, and I may or may not be good at it, but I still want to do it. Yes. Right. Yep. Well, and that's, I guess, in my career, yeah, like like you said, you start out kind of, at least back when I started, you know, it was I was just happy to have a job, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, you're trying to. Um, yeah, early on, even learn how to work in CubeLand. Um, you know, right? Because yeah, college doesn't teach you how to show up every day, and and yeah, you know, all all the basic skills that you learn in that first year or two of just having an office job. Um, yeah, at least growing up in rural Minnesota did not prepare me for that. Sure. Um, and well, you know, but then like like you said, then it changes, and it's like okay, so now I'm I'm pretty good at this, and and I want to impact um, the project I'm working on or the group I'm working with, um, and how do I, you know, what what you know, do I do that by becoming a um, better manager supervisor, or mm-hmm. do I do that by becoming a, a software, you know, like a tech lead or an architect, or mm-hmm. you know, I mean, those are different career paths that very much so, yeah, choose probably mostly unintentionally early in their career. Um, in my case, I was always into this day. I, I just love the technology. So, it, right. You know, and you tend to be more the mentoring role than the management of a team role. Like you were, you were an architect type that helped others be successful. Yeah. I think my, uh, and, and yeah, you know, chicken or the egg, right? Yes. Right. My skill set works better for that, for the mentoring mm-hmm. and, and, um, and gent- hopefully gently leading people in a good direction because you're um, not a jerk, yeah. right? And you kind of have to be a jerk if you're if you're leading a team. Sometimes you got to pull a Gordon Ramsay, you know. And you know, it's true. What is it's, that? You know. <laughs> well, and, and you know, often the the demands of management don't require you to be a mean person, but to express in certain ways. Like I have literally said. Would it help if I smack the table? Because I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, you know? right. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you know, and and having been in management off and on uh, over my career, you know, there's there's constraints that come with that too, right? You, sure. It's like as as a group, you know, your your peers, your leadership team, whatever, says, okay, this is the direction we're going to go, but here's how we need to frame it so that it is for the betterment of 
the entire employee base for the customer. Now they may or may not be right, but, right. but this is the, you know, you, you know, as a team, you set out and say, okay, this is how we're going to frame it. And you're like, you know, I, I wouldn't frame it that way. Um, but it's not my call. And so yeah. you, you, you give up some of that autonomy, um, to be part of a management team. And, uh, that often makes you look like a jerk. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I prefer the Rocky you became. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Always have. Thank you for not being a jerk. But you're still going to be up against like now you're the one man band, you know, or small team kind of set. You're probably on point for all customer contact. Like sometimes customers are badly behaved and you've got to lay the hard word down. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that. Um, and, and I'm not naive to that in any way. Sure. Um, what I always appreciated about you, Rocky, is when you we we'd ask you a question is like, you know, should you do it like this or like this or how would you approach it? And your answer always started with it depends. But you didn't stop there. You said, if, you know, this is the situation, then this would be a better choice. If that was the situation, then this would be a better choice. Y you know what I mean? I mean, you mm -hmm. didn't fall for the to do it this way all the time trap, which people want to hear because it makes, they don't have to think about it, but you made right, people right. think about, you know, the decisions that they make in their coding. Well, that's at the end of the day, uh, especially working as a consultant, I've, I've never been the person in the consulting role where I had to live with that choice forever. Right. Right. Um, yeah. the, the, the customer has to live with that choice. And so right. really the customer ought to be making an, an informed decision. Uh, right. and, then, then they can live with their choice, <laughs> you know, hopefully yeah, exactly. having, having, you know, now early in my career, before I got into consulting, um, you know, I, I either was subject to the choices of my bosses, um, you know, so sometimes they were good and sometimes not, or I became the person that was making those choices. And, um, and I certainly fell early on in my career. I, I fell for the, Oh, that's shiny. I'm going to, I'm going to do that just cause it's shiny. And right. it was not the right choice. Um, right. It, it might've been fun, but yeah, then you live with the consequences. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I fell for that a couple of times too. Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. Yeah. But it's tough to also look at choices you're going to make and go, ah, <sighs> Not, yeah. I'm not going to like this, but it's probably correct. Probably <laughs> right, well, right. Yeah, Blazor comes to mind, right? Um, because it's almost the boy who cried wolf for Microsoft, isn't it? I mean, of all the times mm. that they've had these frameworks and this framework and that thing come out. And now they're like, no, really, this time it's really good. I promise, right? And yep, it took yep. actually looking at it under the hood and understanding it for people such as yourself and other people mm -hmm. that I really respect their opinions to come out and say, you know what, this is solid. Yep. Yep. Well, <laughs> and, and I hate to invoke it, but you know, I got, um, suckered by Silverlight. Yeah. Cause you know, at, at that point in time, it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, From a developer's and, point of view anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the, you know, the architecture on which it was based, you know, being a plugin, um, you know, clearly, and, and that's where, like, like you said, you know, blazer and, and I still, to this day, um, if it's not blazer, it'll be some other web assembly framework. Right. right. 
right? I mean, at that, at the end of the day, to me, that's the thing is that WebAssembly almost certainly is the future of client-side computing. Yeah, unless one of the browser vendors, looking at you, Apple, uh, decides I don't want to run WebAssembly anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a viable, you know, as Jobs did with Safari and plugins, although he happened to be right. The, you know, I when I do the the history stories, as I do so often, I you, you know, you get a big nod. It's like, yeah, I know that sucked, but remember how every single family member had already replaced their address bar with some plugin they didn't know about, right? Back in the day, I mean, ban, banning plugins across the board ended that. Your address bar is really an address bar now, uh, right? And that decision that you talk about in the future, if Apple decides to not support WebAssembly, I'd be hard-pressed to find a good reason why. Mm. It would have to be a security vulnerability, which ultimately what the add-in decision's best footing was. The fact that it, that Flash also killed the iPad battery might have mm. had something to do with it. Right, but, right. But that's also because it was a, an inefficient piece of code built for desktops, not something designed for mobile. That, you know, inefficient Flash piece of what? Mobile. I was being polite. Piece of what? I'm being very polite. <laughs> you know, you've got a Canadian and a Minnesotan on the show, right? We're going to be pretty polite. That's exactly <laughs> right. Man, I'm a New Englander. <laughs> You're going to call it for Put what it is. In it. <laughs> but admittedly, Flash was never meant to be in mobile, and it certainly we didn't run well that way. Yeah. The, and, it's, and ultimately, to me, as the guy still working on the freaking book, the sin of Silverlight was that Microsoft never admitted the truth and never built a bridge. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They, they just, right. Yep. they, in fact, they never said anything. They just left us hanging. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they could have left or created a bridge forward in for sure several different ways and, uh, you know, ch- chose to do nothing at all. Yeah. And that, that, mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly right. That is a scar that's 10 years old and runs deep. Yep. yep. Right. Welcome to three old guys try to talk. <laughs> but, you know, to your point about WASM, it's like the nice thing about WASM is that it, it all of the browsers have supported now. It's more likely that you'll fix the security vulnerability in WASM than abandon WASM. Well, and by definition, uh, the WABS, WASM, WebAssembly, runs in a sandbox and yeah. the only access it has to the DOM, which is how security vulnerabilities arise is through one or two javascript Mm -hmm. uh, methods sure and that's it right so it would have to be pretty darn innovative to be able to attack a web assembly it it would represent a vulnerability in a in browsers period irrespective of that right Right. Right. it would would be just as vulnerable in javascript without a doubt yeah yeah well and I, i think too to the to the apple point um it's actually a standard Right. Whereas, yeah. you know, the, the plugin thing was a standard, but the plugins themselves weren't. And so arguably, yeah. the, you know, um, this is a different thing. It's like right. this is this is just as much a part of browser standards as JavaScript is at this point. And so it's like, yeah, it'd be like Apple saying, well, we're not doing JavaScript anymore. Right. Oh, that would be awesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love that. I mean, how many times have we seen movements towards getting away from javascript you know it's 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 interesting and in in the end like for better or worse it's the assembly language of the web Mm -hmm. and but you don't have to write an assembly anymore well there are other ways it was the assembly language of the web but now we actually have a real one so yeah yeah we have that's right we have web assembly uh, and hence the name i'm getting back to this 
changing career side of things, Rocky. I know we're coming into the end of this. How does Merrimer evolve from here? Like, again, you're not that young. This is you for a, for some period of time, but are you just going to stay on the projects and at some point wind it down? Like, what do you see as an outcome? What do you, or do you look that far in the future? Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, and, and yeah, I think you've pretty much summed it up. Uh, you know, I think when I look forward, you know, at some point I will want to retire and, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, spend my, my days fishing and whatever else. Uh, but you know, I'm not ready to do that yet. That, that I guess is the, you know, and, and, uh, no, no. And there, and there is elegant ways to do that. And I point to um, our friend, Bill Wagner, who had a, I mean, SRT was a serious practice with a bunch of partners. Mm-hmm. And as the partners hit different points in their careers, like it's time to end this. And they found homes for all their customers. Like, I think he spent more than a year making sure all of his staff had a job. All of his clients had support so that he was able to walk away with his head held high. He didn't leave anybody in a lurch and was able to go on to the next thing, which was supposed to be retirement. And somehow he ended up at Microsoft Docs. I don't know how that <laughs> yeah, right, weird. right, right. Thank God he did. And thank yeah, God, Bill, because right. the docs are better for you. You are, you're our buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and docs are actually useful. And HT Box would not have survived, would not have gotten to where it is today without Bill Wagner. Just to mm. put another no, plug in for Bill. Right. <laughs> absolutely um, right and but yeah I, I look at that and you know and i don't yet know you know exactly what shape i you know my, my intent is not to grow merrimer out to be um a staffing Another, firm a magenta you know, yeah yeah that, i if i had wanted to do that i would have done it when i was younger um mm-hmm. you know but that i don't want to run a big company that's never been my desire right it's hard to sell a company when you're it you know yeah Right, when it's right. just you, yep. right? Like so, Franklin's Net is just me. There's no mm-hmm. way I could sell that company because I come with it, you know? Yeah. Right. And that just yep. kind of defeats the purpose. It's like, you know what? I want to keep doing the job I've always done, but make it suck more. Can yeah. you do that? Yeah. yeah okay. Can you do that? That'd be awesome. No. So, yeah. I mean, uh, so no, I, I look out, you know, 10, 5, 10, well, probably more like 10 years in the future. And I think, yeah, you know, at that point, um, whatever customers I have, I'm, I'm going to need to find um, you know, some, somebody who can help them in a way that whatever I'm doing for them. Right. Yeah. And I look at, um, you know, CSLA or, or any other open source projects that I'm working on. Um, and whether they end up being part of, uh, you know, like the .NET foundation or, um, you know, some other individual or, or group of people, um, become a leadership team, uh, you know, uh, you know, at different points in its history, um, CSLA has had um, a really vibrant core group of, of folks. And, um, but then, you know, what I've observed having done this for over 20 years is that, you know, people's real life careers move them along, right? Right. Like, you, know, um, uh, you know, Johnny Beckham from Norway is an example where, Oh man, the, the contributions that he made to CSLA's rules engine, um, you know, well, it's, it, it is the way it is because of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he moved on in his career, uh, you know, to, to a different type of role and he doesn't do CSLA anymore. And so of course, uh, you know, he doesn't spend much time with CSLA obviously. Sure. Right. And, and I don't blame him that that makes sense, but, um, yeah, so so it is a little 
challenging to think about, uh, uh, yeah, well, how do you leave an open source project in a healthy state? Uh, mm. You know, uh, yeah. So it's, it's. I guess it's got to be one of your missions now is to find that yep. those contributors that can uh, can take on paying attention to it sometime in right. the future. Right. Grow them now. Yep. Exactly. You must have contributors. And well, you do. You must have a number one contributor. Oh. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And there's this guy Rockford you know, Lockyer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, besides you, never right, number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's my point, Carl. Is over over the years that number two contributor has changed, yeah, um, you know, several times. And uh, but I look at like CSLA six, the release we just came out with. Jeez, um, mm -hmm. I don't. I'd, I guess I'd have to count, but I think there was close to forty people that contributed. Awesome! Um, wow. I mean, that's it was. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fantastic, and. Um, and I enjoy that. You know, I, whether it's people that have really dug in and, and do big contributions, or um, and especially now, um, you know, talking about the career change, um, yeah. I have I have more flexibility um, to I, I guess mentor. You know, I've had a couple people that are like, "Well, I'd love to contribute, but I don't even know how to do a pull request." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, right. well, let's let's yeah. get on Discord and I'll walk you through the process or write a right? blog post." Well, I have, I've, I've got what I think are good blog posts and good documentation, but you know, sometimes, you know, just half an hour of spending, you know, getting out of audio or video chat, mm. um, yeah, I and, agree. and walking, you know, that's all it takes. And then all of a sudden the dam breaks. Right. And it's right. like, you know, then they're like, Oh, I get it. And now I'll contribute more stuff. He gets it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Uh, Rocky, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? Anything you want to plug? Um, well, just my normal CSLA stuff, probably. Got right. put the I put the link in. Congratulations on version six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun, and uh, now we're already working on the next stuff. So it's it's I love it. It's amazing after after you know oh, Jesus pushing what ten plus years. And, 20, uh, well, the .NET 20? version came yeah, out. The, yeah, the, the, the overall, yeah, it's pushing 25 years. So. 25 years. And yeah, still still features needed to be built. Yep. Um, doing Blazor and or Maui these days, um, are you staying current with it? Well, I personally am still doing a lot of Blazor. I, I, um, but but CSLA 6.1 added support for Maui. So I, I did wow. you know, jump into a bunch of Maui stuff. So here's a question for you, Mr. Zamel. Do you prefer uh, Maui Zamel or Maui Blazer? Aha. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Well, so it depends. Uh, right? It depends, but but my <laughs> yeah, but really, what it boils down to, I think, Carl, and what what sold me on um, uh, Blazer and HTML and stuff is, I think Zamel is better designed. Right. As, as a language, it's better architected and, but HTML and CSS, you can go <laughs> to Richard's point. I, I can go on Google. I can say, Hey, here's my problem. And I can find several different, um, snippets of HTML or CSS. Right. Um, and I can figure out which one seems to fit my need and yeah, copy you don't do paste that with it XAML. in. <laughs> and you don't do that with XAML. No, you can't. There's, you don't even understand it, what somebody's saying. And so yeah. at the end of the day, um, as much as I really do like XAML, um, 
HTML CSS is is the, is the more productive option. Yeah, and the I agree. And the Blazor component model just makes it so easy to oh. do stuff like binding and eventing way easier than XAML. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that makes sense, right? Because you look and say, well, it's the culmination of learnings from VB6 to Windows Forms to Web Forms to mm-hmm. you know XAML. Um, you know, and the browser all, already being a cross-platform yeah. thing. Yep, yep. You know, all, all those different ways that at least Microsoft has tried to do data binding and event binding and mm. component models over, you know, decades. And, you know, not to say that Blazor's the, you know, there may be something better in the future, but um, the model that it has is by far the best they've come up with so Absolutely. far. Absolutely. Yeah. It took a guy like Steve Sanderson to simplify it. Yep. Right. And make it that powerful. Wow. All right, well, All right, we're friends. in violent agreement here. Yeah, sometimes shame we don't get along. <laughs> I know it's a shame. Yeah, we, we should argue more. Something. <laughs> well, Rocky, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And good Likewise. luck on your new venture. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, guys. Good to talk to you, friends. Yep, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 